Welcome to the season two of the Design Lab Brew podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Laura. I'm Nefeli. And we're here to explore the intersection between science, technology, and society. So grab your drink of choice and let's dive in. This is always uh, such a different designs, uh, new concepts. Also interesting to talk to people, like what are they doing, why, and yeah, really cool to interact with all this kind of artists, designers, uh, people, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely really positive. It's always quite inspiring being able to stay current with what all designers and artists are working on. With a topic of sustainability. Yeah, it's interesting to see how topics are connected. In this episode, we go to the Dutch Design Week. Dutch Design Week is the largest annual design event in Northern Europe. It presents work and concepts from designers and is hosted in Eindhoven. In a nutshell, it is an event of showcasing Dutch design. Our university had quite a few projects going to Dutch Design Week, and Design Lab Dream Teamers also helped build some of the projects. On top of that, many Dream Teamers, including us, were interested in visiting Dutch Design Week, so we all ended up going there on the last day. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to join because I had a really bad case of the flu, but maybe you can tell the viewers a little bit, or listeners, I should say, a little bit more, Nefeli, about how the whole experience went when you were at Dutch Design Week. Well, that was an experience and a half, I would say. Uh, first of all, seeing the ingenious inventions that were around, I mean, sometimes a little bit weird, but mostly ingenious. <laughs> And also working there as well for the podcast uh, with Laura. I don't know how was uh, how was taking the interviews for you. Uh, it was uh, also quite an experience. Uh, it was a first for me, and uh, it was definitely both exciting and a bit uh, nervous at the same time. I think what made it really special, in a sense, was that we were just two people trying to talk to general participants, right? We wanted to have the view of the people who participated in uh, the Dutch Design Week, not only the experts that we interviewed later. So we had to actually go up to people with microphones and just stick it on their face. That was, that, that was uh, difficult. But I, th- I think the outcome was, uh, was quite uh, interesting, though. I also think that it's probably a very different experience talking to people who are just going about their day with Dutch Design Week than talking with experts, because we had a completely different experience, Nathalie and I, when we talked with um, the two designers about the Magic Project. And Carithe, you spoke with Julieta about the Future Friction projects as well. Yes, we got to sit down inside the design lab in the new... um, digital workshop and just have very cozy conversation about it. She was a delight. So the first project that we explored in Dutch Design Week, and we also got interviews uh, with participants there, was Mache. Uh, Mache is a kid that offers an activity that lets children design their own body, their own Mache in Dutch, a, in a way that it accommodates to their own social needs. The design was created by students of University of Twente and it seems like it was very well received. Because it's the design week so you expect something futuristic. So I think it's really nice to see something really, um, it's not basic, but really um, approachable and understandable. 
because it's also understandable for the kids, and I think that's really good. It uh, allows the the person, the child, to you know, uh, be creative, not in a predetermined way, because you can do holes everywhere. You can do two hands, three hands, two feet. It's like uh, very free flowing. So I think that's good. Well, I said it's a social thing, so kids can be really. Uh, um, touching their creativity so they can really develop that. Well, she loved it. Finally, she get creative and she was not bored. Right, Diana? Hi, what is your name? Stein. Stein. Beautiful. And what have you made, Stein? A robot. Uh, what's the name of your robot? Uh, Floppy. <laughs> Floppy. <laughs> Maybe it's a good time to jump into our interview with Naomi Van Stralen and Andre. Weinven, the designers of Matcha. Uh, hello, guys. Hi. <laughs> uh, let's give you a couple of minutes to introduce yourselves. Tell us, who are you? All right. Um, hello, I'm Naomi. I'm a student of industrial design engineering at the University of Twente. I'm doing the human technology relations track and I like to specialize myself with participatory design and uh, working with children. And hopefully uh, that's also the kind of direction I'm going into. But besides that, I also just work on schools or I like to go outside climbing or skating or whatever, just uh, to clear my mind a bit in between. Seems like you're very, this project is very much your uh, your vibe. And Andres, what about you? Hi, uh, I'm uh, Andres from uh, the Netherlands. I'm studying industrial design engineering here as well, fifth year now. Uh, I'm also doing the human technology relations track. Um, I'm very much into uh, music, playing basketball and also photography. Uh, and in my studies, I really like um, designing for open-endedness. So let's the user decide what the purpose is of the product. Um, very, uh, yeah, open, open-ended, collaborative, very collaborative. Yeah, yeah that's, it's really it, it. actually makes quite a bit of sense now. Like uh, trying to see uh, your project, and uh, from all of the discussions and research we had, uh, it makes a lot more sense how you ended up making matcha. Yeah, well, uh, once you turn it around, maybe matcha shaped my interest in this topic as well. I really reinvented myself. <laughs> you uh, ended up going to the Dutch Design Week. Uh, how did that yes. uh, happen? How did you decide to get your project to the Dutch Design Week? Well, the project started as a course for scenario-based product design where we had to design gender-neutral, sustainable, uh, open-ended play for children. And we ended up co-designing with children on a care farm. And that went so well that, yeah, we thought we should continue the project and we did some more tests at other care farms. And then there was this open call from the university for the Dutch Design Week and our supervisor there, yeah, she just suggested we apply. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how we ended up at the Dutch Design Week. We didn't expect it beforehand. <laughs> it was just something that happened along the yeah, way. Yeah, to be honest, Deer was the most enthusiastic <laughs> about the project. Uh, for the three of us and she was really <laughs> like oh, I should apply for the design week and well, we were like yeah sure let's give it a give it a shot <laughs> so this project started Great. can oh, you please go. can you maybe explain what a care farm is yeah so care farm in this case I mean it can be different things but in our case it is 
a like a farm they have some animals and just the families living there and they have uh, day activities for children who find it very hard to go to a regular school so they kind of dropped out of school at a quite a young age like primary school um and instead they go to a care farm on a day-to-day basis where they do meaningful activities and learn to care for themselves and for others um like and learning important values on the way basically so they're basically developing their social skills or like yes. hard skills as well they also do some educational activities usually in the morning they do some reading or some math just some yeah some simple stuff to keep them up to date and then in the afternoon they can have therapy with horses or dogs or they go on a walk to the beach or in the forest that's kind of what their day uh, looks like. Oh, that's really that's really interesting. Is that uh, how your um, your project got a more zoomorphic uh, embodiment as well? Because it seems like, from the pictures at least, it seems like a lot of the uh, pro- products that came out of uh, the Matcha project are quite zoomorphic. Yeah. Based on animals. Well, that's that's interesting. Um, um, yeah. So we tried to create very ambiguous shapes, right? You could interpret them in many ways, and you could basically build anything. Um, but then it seems indeed like a lot of children build animals. Um, but this also depends on the group. So we see that children, uh, once the first person says that they're building their own cats or dog, then all of the children start making animals. So although you could easily make like mm-hmm. buildings or robots or human figures or fantasy creatures as well, um, it depends a bit on the group. They kind of look at each other what they what the others are building. Oh, is, uh, isn't that the yeah. paradox with the penguin? Where you have this kid that can do anything and you give an example of a penguin and then everybody's making penguins. That sounds very similar, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually quite, quite yeah. a pity in my opinion because, <laughs> I mean, I feel like it reduces the open-endedness because you're influenced by your peers. Yeah, it it's also really depends on the caregivers because we try, yeah. It really depends on the session and the whole group because we try to give them as little yeah as little as possible to go with so their mind is open but if we or somebody else at the care farm will already give an example like oh maybe you can make your dog or maybe you can make one of the caretakers then they'll obviously start thinking in that direction as well uh, what is the age range of uh, children that have used matai or have you made it for a specific age range uh, we tested it with children between 5 and 12 year old, years old, I believe. But a lot of the children at care farms, they can also lag behind in their mental and social skills. So yeah, their mm. mental age can be different than their actual age. So it's difficult to make an estimation who it could be suited for. Okay. So because this uh, project was also um, in this environment where you had certain groups and you saw that children were kind of copying each other, then do you think that this toy could possibly be used for helping like social situations for these children, since you say they have um, like hard time going into normal society, that this is giving them a way to sort of communicate in a different way that's not just talking immediately to each other, but also just collaborating? Yeah, definitely. Ways. So the, the main goal of Mache is to enable these children who find it hard to express their feelings and their needs and their emotions, uh, give them another means to express themselves, like by building something. 
Um, so I think that could definitely be used in social situations to express yourself. Um, it's it's not uh, meant to like communicate in the way of messaging each other. Obviously, that will be too slow. But it's more like um, to express or to state how you're feeling at a certain moment um, or what your troubles are. So it's definitely a means of communication in some way, yes. Yeah, but depending on the children, still matcha is something really personal. And uh, for one of the groups, the kids could do like a presentation about their matcha to the other children of the group because they were comfortable enough for that. But in another setting, the children really thought it was something too personal to share with the other children and maybe even too personal to share with us. So either they told us individually or they just explained to the caretaker just because the threshold of telling the whole group and communicating between the children was still too high. And what was uh, the kind of connections you have found that uh, the children had with their own matcha? Or do you think that this is based on the fact that they did? What we see is that um, matcha means more for children who have a specific need. So, for instance, we tested this also at the primary school. Um, that was to make the video for Dutch Design Week, actually. We just had a session. And what we saw is that they made matches, which were just nice looking, but not very meaningful to themselves. While at the care farm, where children had some problems at home, maybe, or find it difficult to express themselves, they really um, were bonding with their matcha right away. Because they try to put some meaning in it. So, for instance, um, one boy made a matcha uh, and you could open it up, like his stomach could like fold open and then he could put a, like a letter inside to hide his secrets because he didn't have a... So <laughs> yeah, it was really adorable actually, but also kind of sad because he was telling, yeah, because I don't feel like I can tell my secrets at home because of reasons. So, because of this difficult situation, uh, he put more value in his matcha. And then, right from the start, the bonding between him and his matcha already started. But that was really cool to see. That is actually quite interesting, because if children are telling their secret to their matchas, uh, that could be... Uh, is, is that some sort of um, pointer for you, for future maybe possible robotics or different kind of toys that I mean that could have some sort of healing value I think the reason that the children trust their own match is because they created that themselves from very meaningless shapes like I said these ambiguous shapes it could be anything um, moving to the area of robotics that would you would lose a bit of like authority over your own creation um, and I would say that that will lose the trust trust relation, but I'm not yeah. sure. Could be interesting. It's a delicate balance, basically, between making it accessible and also um, adding more functionality. But to, at the end, you just really want that the child is able to bond with the creation. Yeah, it is. It is actually really a, a really very powerful point about matcha. Because you can see this kind of bonding happening without any sort of fancy electronics involved. And to me, it's also a kind of nod towards, or towards to um, 
over-engineering things and creating maybe too much functionality when where it's not exactly needed because there's also some sort of uh, data protection type of thing or privacy of the child since matcha cannot tell anybody <laughs> while something else would be able to uh, th- that was like a side of uh, things I, I, I would really like to say hear your thoughts about my main question is do you think that uh, matcha should stay should uh, as a project as an idea should remain in the realm of um, cardboard prototype kind of thing or do you see it uh, becoming a more full product that could have a longer lifespan and of course different components so i think the main thing that is important and what's the power behind matcha is the ambiguity so multi-interpretable um and we thought that that would work very well with cardboard because you can like shape it any way you want you can make holes in it in any place you want um, and also in the simple abstract shapes that do not uh, are not a specific thing, right? So if you could translate this ambiguity to another area of something more high fidelity or like high tech, it might work. Um, yeah, there should be done research into that. But I think that's the main thing, the ambiguity. And we think that it works very well with cardboard and the simple shapes. Yeah, probably you also move towards products that are already existing, like the, um, yeah, like Lego Technics or other kind of stuff that's also, yeah, kind of modular and open-ended that also includes technology. Uh, I would like to hear a little bit more. What was the process behind making Matcha? Okay, so uh, for the course, first uh, scenario-based product design, we did a lot of research with the children, and. Basically, in the beginning, we had no clue what kind of toy we would end up with. We just started interviewing the children. Well, we because of Corona, we couldn't do it, but we had the caretakers uh, interview the children. And they asked all kinds of questions about what activity they liked most at the care farm, what they liked to engage in with the other children. And we also had to make some drawings about their dreams or their best friend and their aspirations. And we analyzed that. And for every step in between, we also made some scenarios to uh, yeah, envision how some kind of black box could be positioned with the children that could solve the problem that we found. And then we started filling in the black box. So from analyzing all the drawings, we found that a lot of children have some imaginary friend or an animal they like to talk to. It can be some fairy. But also we know that uh, the children at the care farm, they enjoy their time, but Yeah, they can come from a bit further away and at home they're alone a lot of the times. So we decided to fill that gap together with Maatje. And then from the scenarios, uh, we ended up with the modularity of the cardboard boxes. That's very interesting. Um, Another uh, another side of uh, Maatje is uh, this kind of ambiguity. And a, a point that uh, I, I, I at least picked up from your own descriptions on that design week is that uh, a matcha is genderless, uh, which was really, which was really interesting uh, when we started seeing at the products that the kids made in that design week. 
my main question was, do they actually make something outside of the traditional norms of the toys that they have in general? Or do they make something that they have seen repeatedly? So is matcha inspiring them to actually make something that is unique and different and their own and sort of outside of the gender norms of the traditional toys? I think something that became really clear at Dutch Design Week is that the boundaries of what we offer was even yeah was beyond what we expected. Because when we were at the stand and people could craft, they would kind of make something similar than that was already there. But if it would be away for a bit and then come back, people tried other stuff as well. They stopped folding the boxes, they just unfold it again and do something else with it or somebody used their own plastic bottle and used that as the body for their matches. So they really started exploring also outside of the boundaries that we offered. So that, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, they really came up with uh, different things than a doll or a dog or something that's already familiar. Do you think then that there is a uh, an added layer to matching, which is the supervision so if they're in a context where there is like some supervisor there, then they feel pressure to do something more conforming to normal standards. But then if they have a context where there is less supervision, then it's becoming mm-hmm. more free with how they interact. Yes, definitely. It will be very interesting to experiment with um, group size, uh, s- strict supervision or not. And also just assignment that you that you give, right? If you because we for now we just said you build a matcha and you can like interpret yourself what the what the matcha is like matcha meaning body literally in English, um, but it will be interesting to play around with that and give a more specific description or even more abstract because I think it will greatly influence the results. Like we said before, people are already influenced by what they see their peers building if they pierce built a dog then you will probably end up with a dog or a cat as well um so you are definitely influenced by that yes yeah and this supervision relation is also one of the reasons why we developed a mechanism for the children to punch the holes themselves and connect them through these 3d printed screws so they don't need the help of the supervisor and they feel more empowered to make their own thing rather than requiring the help of somebody else and then maybe feel more restricted do you have anything else to add about your design of matcha? What it means to you, maybe? Originally, um, we were kind of also struggling with what is the balance between the product and the activity. Like, what is actually what we offer? Because for us, it was at first like the activity of building a matcha, and that's what made it powerful. And then whether you do that through cardboard boxes or other stuff that you have lying around, it didn't really matter. Our first test was also just with toilet rolls and other trash and just anything but yeah then at Dutch design week people start thinking outside of the context of the activity and they start envisioning all kinds of other contexts and then it's more about the cardboard and the products the tangible product that we offered and less about activity so that was yeah a different balance in in that sense did they make stories about their matches as well did they create narratives with them the Children at the care farms, sometimes they they did, yeah, they already, when they presented their matcha, uh, 
one boy they made uh, he made a pirate and there was all kind of glow in the dark stars on there and he already envisioned himself in the night that he could project a movie with his macho and then he could watch a horror movie with his brother but then they wouldn't be scared because the macho would be lit up so yeah some some kids really do that but for other <laughs> other kids it was uh yeah a little bit less like that already uh and did you think do you think that this kind of uh kind of um, creation impacted how much they bonded with it? Did, did you see any difference in this kind of situations? Because uh, we didn't we didn't do a lot of research in what happens after like we did the test and for one of the tests we asked the uh, caretakers after a few weeks like do the children still interact with their matcha? What do they do with it? But yeah, we don't know if there's still still children that have their match on their nightstands or they're all in the trash right now. That's just something that's still unclear to us. Oh. At least in the moment that they're creating it, they feel somewhat empowered by having this toy that really is very personal to them mm-hmm. and that reflects a bit about their own uh, way that they interact with life. Uh, well... I have to say I'm very impressed and really interested in the matcha project for personal reasons as well. I'm also involved in a similar kind of thing and I, I really wanted to talk to you from the moment we, we saw in the Dutch Design Week when, oh, that's lovely what you guys hear. were doing. It was like, oh, information. <laughs> have you ever been to the Dutch Design Week before? As a matter of fact, I have not. And everyone that I tell it, says that I should be ashamed, but <laughs> this was my first time at the Dutch Design Week. <laughs> so it was a really good start, I think. <laughs> cool. What about you, Naomi? Yeah, I have been to the Dutch Design Week several times before. Yeah, I try to go every year if I can. Yeah, I think it's indeed it's kind of necessary <laughs> as a designer to be up to date about yeah what's happening. And now that you have participated as well, how was your experience as, uh, you know, presenting your work to these thousands of people that are passing by? To me, it was really amazing. I was almost there every day and people are just coming at the stands all the time. You, you At some point, you kind of want to take a break, but then new people keep coming. So you also kind of want to interact with them and tell them about it. And everybody is enthusiastic. So yeah, that that was really nice to me. You have we were the last room in the building, and the whole building. A lot of projects are conceptual, and it's just looking. And then they come at our stand. Maybe the children already complain about being bored, and then here there's something where they can actually engage with the product that's presented. So yeah, you could really see everybody's enthusiasm. That was amazing. <laughs> and Andres, what about yeah, you? Yeah, so for me, it actually. I for the first time maybe even I start to feel like a designer like not as not not only a student not just a student I mean I'm still not graduated but nobody there seemed to care you know so apparently we were able to come up with a project that people get enthusiastic about um and that was really empowering uh to see that we are actually capable of doing that and yeah, I feel more of a like professional now already. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Sense of pride, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I never really experienced that before because normally you just work for like a project for a university and then like 
you get a grade and then you never think about it again. And now we really know what we're doing it for. Well, actually, that's really interesting because that is the kind of sentiment that we got f- from the people we interviewed around your stand, that they, everybody was super um, happy to have something they could tangibly interact with and understand to a fundamental level. It's like the kids could understand what you did. And I think that, I mean, this is something I really wanted to say as well, because I, mean, I, I understand that you have seen their reactions, but also the questions that they were answering were very straightforward and they could understand very well what they were doing. And that was the same for the parents, um, that even parents that didn't really make their own toys they helped their child very straightforward. That was a, a question I had in mind in the beginning, but I think we already went through if the um, kind of knowledge and level of understanding of the facilitator uh, changed what the child is making. Uh, but I think this is not, uh, this is not uh, very relevant anymore because the project itself is making it very free for the child mm-hmm. to, uh, to express themselves. Um, I think I'm very covered for this interview. I would, uh, Karithea, do you have some more discussion points? Uh, well, I would just then have some kind of closing sort of questions then mm-hmm. to ask. So, given that you've gone through this whole experience with Dutch Design Week and you had this process where you did it from a course to finally presenting it, is there anything you would do differently? the project or even during the design week now that you can reflect on it that's an interesting question you, you can depend on Carithea for those ones <laughs> <laughs> so what I think and, and Naomi already mentioned it what was difficult and still is difficult is like determining what is the real value of matcha is it the activity that we offer to children or is it the cardboard and the like the materials that we de- develop, that actually also, well, we spent quite some time on it, but what is the real core of the value that we offer? Um, and we still don't really know. And I think it would have been good if we um, like try to come up with what is the core of it and focus on that more to yeah, spend the effort on the right things. Um, and then... Yeah, like having a minimal viable product uh, instead of kind of offering both a bit, but not re- not really knowing what's most valuable. Would you say then that is your next step if you would continue working on this project is to kind of decide what direction you'd like? Uh, for to me, I would say so, yes. Especially, for instance, during the design week, I received some comments on, hey, this is very cool, but why don't you just use toilet rolls like or uh, cardboard packages uh, like we actually started with. Um, so these per- people seem to think that activity is import- more important than the material. So yeah, that would for me definitely be um, the next step, especially if you want to make investments in um, production or something, then you should really verify if that's indeed the value that you offer. Maybe... But on the other hand, there were also a lot of people that saw the cardboard materials and the screws and the hole punchers, and they saw a different context for it than we imagined. Like, 
oh, you could use this for elderly people, or why don't you just use this as any crafting material in schools? Or So, yeah, the balance, indeed, also for the people there, shifted, uh, depending on who was interacting with the product. That's something for you to very much contemplate over and decide, especially if you feel like you want to develop this further. Do you feel like you're going to develop this? Are you are you sticking with Mate or is it something that you um, you have sort of finished uh, as uh, in, in a personal level that you have finished and you want to move on from? We're still unsure. <laughs> we're looking into it, but I think we're both not in the points in our lives where we, yeah could, as the two of us, take this to the next level, like we have other priorities, we need to finish our studies, we need to explore company life still. But it's not like uh, we completely abandoned it, because I think we both uh, learned a lot from it, and like I said, it also created my interest in like open-endedness, so I would definitely like to take this experience and also maybe even this topic and maybe turn it into like a master thesis assignment um, about something similar, but not exactly much. So I don't think we will be turning much into any real product anytime soon. But instead, um, take the core yeah. concept and uh, yeah, maybe do a uh, thesis on that. It feels a little bit like Mache has broken out of the academic world, and uh, I was looking for, uh, for example, the shapes. Uh, that you have been making and the design uh, um, the design files for the bits that you have made or some sort of PDF guide and um, because I was really thinking that it is something you could offer to the world uh, just you know freely if you don't feel like creating a product out of it uh, do you mm-hmm. have you ever thought about making it uh, open source <laughs> well as a matter of fact we we kind of made it open source and we put it on our website. If you want to file it, just send us an email. And then the over, the oh, overwhelming really nice. success at the, the Dashizawi made us reconsider <laughs> that actually. So for, for a moment, we thought, okay, could this be something like real? And should we turn this into like production stuff? So we actually removed that line from our website after we got like maybe eight requests already for the files. So <laughs> I think for now we're putting our idea in the fridge and see if we want to do something with it in the near future or further future. <laughs> uh, last chance just to add any sort of closing comments or maybe some advice for people who want to go to the design week next year. For your fellow students. I think what is good advice is that if you did a nice project, uh, either in your bachelor or your master, it doesn't really matter, then through a Capita Selecta, there is a chance to develop it further and to explore it further and to get beyond the boundaries that the university offers because there's only so much you can do within one quartile. And I think taking that next step, yeah, still really added to our knowledge and experience. Uh, yeah, for our field of study. So, I think that Dutch Design Week as an experience gave them a sense of pride and direction for their career. 
and it sounded like it was a career defining moment for some of them yeah it, it's a uh... It seemed like they found their groove. I think we discussed about it also in the interview, but it really seemed like they 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 got uh, a uh, a focus. Um, and also, it, it's it's a little bit interesting how the, the product itself, like the open endedness they created, allowed the user to apply their own value. Like, is the uh, cardboard the the most important bit is the sustainability the most important bit uh, what is the most what is the value of matcha it's basically very personal uh, and the, and the last thing that i got that was really very important is how simple like it's the most simple material it's the most approachable way to make anything really so it's the most low tech project that we saw in uh, the university quarters and it worked miracles speaking about values the second um, pres- project presented at Dutch Design Week that we'll be talking about today is Future Frictions that explores a bit about values and how we think about technology and it's maybe a bit more complex approach as it's a web interface application that people can walk through a community with. It starts a conversation surrounding the collection and usage of data today and how it's becoming even more important uh, to think about as public spaces become more connected, as there are devices that are actively listening, watching and reacting to us. The Future Friction Projects aims to facilitate discussions and reflections within communities about the possible impacts of technology in our future. I spoke with designers as well as people who actually interacted with the web application and got to see how they reacted to engaging with drones and AI cats in a community and also the different conflicts that do exist within communities when new technologies are introduced. I have very mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, um, I don't have any problem with the government and most people like accessing my data. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem I do have is like hackers accessing my data. And by the government having my data, there's automatically a chance <laughs> hackers will have it as well. So I'd rather have everyone know rather than like just the government because god knows what could happen there they'd have it in the best of hearts but they'd be like exploiting us Mm. definitely with like information we don't even think that they know oh i don't know it's a really really tough situation so there there are like very specific laws already that you have to opt in on from what data being collected etc however like uh, as in the case with the phone uh, that doesn't matter because the company does it anyway and maybe that is the point that I would focus on, um, making sure that the people actually do follow the law, harsh punishments, uh, so that you know that the technology doesn't get out of hand. I think we've been discussing uh, those concepts like a lot already, mm-hmm. like uh, privacy and camera privacy. Uh, yeah, is already like a known subject that has been thought out, and there's laws built around it. If you're gonna attack a uh, loneliness with AI. You might want to try to do it more targeted mm-hmm. and uh, more concerning privacy so that you don't have like AI walking all about. Also, it feels like a waste of resources because there are already 
in seemingly better ideas to target loneliness that are no, you're not using the resource effectively by having cats wandering around. Things like helping you when you're lonely. I don't know, especially where we live right now. It's more that's your own choice, and you know there are people out here. There's several people living nearby, and also people who live around us have several housemates. So an AI cat would be cute, but I think <laughs> a real cat's better. <laughs> okay, <laughs> or a dog. Especially the drone, I would feel bad at because you know I, I might live in like a three-story high building somewhere in my neighborhood and i leave the window open because nobody can walk in then i'm undressing there and the drone flies by that's a really mixed feeling for me definitely that loss of you know whole privacy when you like as a kid the whole experience of like going partying sneaking out mm. coming back home like i don't endorse that at all okay nobody should be doing that but yeah it's robbing people of that experience I oh that sounds horrible though. Well, it, it does make you think. For example, the first three options I got after the drone, I was like, well, wait a second, these are all terrible options, and that does directly make you think, well, what would be a good option? There were no correct answers. There was no better option. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely useful, but it's never going to be accurate because mm-hmm. there are several things that people always miss, mm-hmm. and opinions also weigh in heavily. Yes. on this type of things i think uh, it's always good to like think a little bit about it but the truth is we have no clue what like technologies are going to exist in 20 years so it doesn't make a lot of sense to argue about those technologies already because mm-hmm. you know th- th- those technologies are literally inconceivable uh julietta you can introduce yourself Hi, Carithia. Very nice to be here today. Uh, well, I'm uh, Julieta, and I'm working on my postdoctoral research at the University of Twente here at the Human Centered Design Research mm-hmm. Group. And I also work at the Design Lab uh, with the Responsible Futuring team. Nice. So you said that you work with the Responsible Futuring team. Maybe you can give us a little bit of background about like what sort of team this is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, uh, together with uh, Christina Saga and the team, so I think she was also part of this uh, podcast series uh, mm-hmm. recently, uh, we are working on a, on an approach uh, in order to co-shape, um, uh, well, inclusive uh, futures. And then what we do is we follow transdisciplinary practices. And what we want to do is um, explore potential futures and uh, raise multiple voices or give um uh <laughs> yeah it's fine go ahead <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so you want to uh, give voices to like to different stakeholders so then when yes. we are thinking about the future and then especially when we are thinking about futures there are multiple interpretations mm-hmm. about uh, what we want to achieve or what we want to avoid and um Something that we do is we explore uh, methods and tools in order to um, give room to multiple values and then explore how the different values that we have in the present affect and influence our practices Mm -hmm. and how in this way we can influence the type of futures that we may achieve. Yes, it's social sciences are very hard to predict. It's impossible to predict, really, and thinking about the values that people have and how that uh, interacts with technologies of the future is quite interesting and also quite difficult, if I would think about it, to predict accurately. So 
this is a very useful tool that you are making then. Well, the um, the thing is that the future is not something that happens to us. Mm -hmm. So then it's very important that we um, set up, uh, let's say, spaces or settings in which we can explore uh, and, and really... Uh, debate the certain futures that may be ahead of us. Mm -hmm. So we actually have agency to decide uh, what's going to happen in the future. So that's why it's very important to be responsible and take this agency and collaborate. In fact, like it's not something that we do alone. So then mm -hmm. if we have a look at indeed like uh, technological developments or so many things going on in the world, uh, what we realize is that we need each other and we need multiple disciplines and we need um, multiple perspectives uh, mm -hmm. in order to, well, to work towards a, a, f a future that we want to live in. Okay. And um, for this whole experience, you had made this project and you worked with other members of your team and somehow this ended up being part of the Dutch Design Week. So can you explain a bit why did you decide to join the Dutch Design Week? Yes, of course. So we are working on our project uh, that uh, uh, it's called Designing for Controversies in Responsible Smart Cities. That's quite a long name. <laughs> uh, but what we do is uh, we explore the constructive potential of controversies and tensions mm -hmm. that might emerge as a result of uh, well, uh, human technology uh, relations. So when we're talking about smart cities, then we talk about technology that is being implemented in order to optimize, for instance, city processes. So we see that in traffic lights uh, that have sensors or uh, surveillance cameras everywhere in the streets. Um, and well, we might achieve more efficient cities, but then the impact of these technologies is broader than that. Mm -hmm. And what we do in our project is we explore like these implications of technology and one of the outcomes, and then one of the of the uh, well, we were uh, reflecting and thinking of how could we uh, develop a tool or develop uh, some kind of experience in which these outcomes became tangible and became relatable, and mm -hmm. people could immediately see, okay, if we make these choices in the present, then this is the type of future that then we are going to achieve, and that's how we developed uh, future frictions. That then it's a web experience in which um, well, you walk in the city, uh, you make choices, and uh, right away you see what's happening, and it is provocative. Uh, but at the same time, it's something that you might feel close to your heart. So it's not like this futuristic type of smart city. And at the Dutch Design Week, uh, what we had we wanted to do two things. So on the one hand, we wanted to engage visitors with mm -hmm. the web experience to see what type of reactions we would get uh, with the format and with the uh, uh, type of um, interaction that then we we were uh, well. Because what we are going to do is actually civic engagement, right? So mm -hmm. we wanted to see, okay, is is future frictions actually uh, triggering certain reflection and debate of, around smart city futures? And at the same time, we also wanted to showcase and inspire people to show that there are other ways of engagement to talk about this type of uh, of, of issues or things like smart cities. So many times mm -hmm. we see it's really like documents, uh, PDFs, etc. But then this is a different way. And then we wanted to... Would see. you say that was your inspiration then? 
Uh, What was the inspiration? The inspiration was to make it more tangible, this whole debate about smart smart cities. Absolutely, absolutely, yes, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, that was the inspiration. And then we also, uh, from our side, also our inspiration is speculative design. So how can we bring the future to the present and uh, we'll figure out engaging ways to make that happen. Mm. Okay, speculative design. Could you maybe for the audience back home just quickly describe what this is? So speculative design um, is about, uh, so usually um, when we design then uh, we might be designing like a product or a service and then there is a certain functionality in mind Mm -hmm. and then speculative design uh, the main goal is to design a product or an experience that uh, doesn't exist yet, that exists in the future, mm-hmm. and you design it with the purpose of stimulating debate about this future. Okay. So it's a way of, of provoking and making us think about this future. Okay, a very provocative design. <laughs> it is a very provocative <laughs> type design, exactly. Can you explain uh, how your project relates to the theme of connected interactions? Because your project was basically highlighted in a talk show for the day in the Dutch Design Week, which was themed around connected interactions. Yeah, so, um, uh, well, it is related to connected interactions in in several ways, but then probably the most important is uh, about values. So something that we wanted to... uh, show or that we wanted to reflect on was like how our individual values uh, let's say we are prioritizing uh, um, uh, convenience over certain things then they are going to have interdependencies with certain collective values that are going to be more prominent in society as a whole Mm -hmm. so our individual values shape collecting ones, so then there is like an interdependency there, and at the same time, those collective values also influence us and how we experience uh, life and the city. So uh, I would say that then the main and most prominent connection uh, with the theme was about, uh, well, all the, the, yeah, the value discussion, yeah. in, in fact. How it's very much like vice versa, the, the community influences your personal beliefs but then your personal beliefs also influences the community and also very important as well something is like in these interactions then many times we tend to forget a little bit the individual Uh, but then what we want also to say is like there's agency we have agency with our values Mm -hmm. to have an influence in the in the larger let's say um yeah the, the larger picture okay what was the process like making the Future Frictions web application? Oh, that's a very uh, good question. So it has been a so a, a great collaboration. So um, as you mentioned earlier, we are part of a of a larger project. So um, together with our colleagues from uh, Utrecht University, and then also Creative Coding Utrecht and Kat Patat, we're a collective of creative developers. Uh, what we did was uh, we took the outcomes of um, the previous workshops that then we uh, did, uh, carried out as part of our research in which we identified smart city controversies. And based on these controversies, we developed scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, we had the scenarios and then, of course, these narratives are uh, powerful, but uh, we want to go one step further and make them immersive and uh, make mm. them this uh, add this layer of provocation 
So that's how we started like this iterative process as part of the team in which we were exploring, okay, how is it going to look like uh, visually? How do we make it in a way that we recognize the city we live in, but at the same time we feel that we are already in the future? Yeah. And, um, well, it was it was a, a very inspiring process, I must say, where we, yeah. And I have uh, done the whole Future Frictions interaction myself, and the first thing that really stood out to me was that there are so many... Um, images of people doing just very basic and like uh, how do you say like not spectacular um, things just very normal day-to-day experiences and yeah there were some people that you interacted with but some people that you didn't interact with and it helped you to kind of understand a little bit more about what kind of community were you in where you were in a place where it was a lot of students or a lot of young people or was it like for um families and yeah there were different people like from different backgrounds non-dutch person was interviewed uh as well in this um, whole interaction so it was very diverse uh, setting yeah definitely that was also something that we wanted to show indeed one thing that then cities and then when we're talking about cities and uh, the future of cities then well, we are already <laughs> living in a smart city, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, something that my colleague Anouk mentioned during the talk show that then uh, she's completely right about it is that, you know, when we talk about smart cities, it's always blue. And it's always like you almost feel mm. like, oh, there's like a spaceship uh, going to land <laughs> in this. But in reality, well, it is the city, right? And then we, we already live in a smart city. And also uh, the diversity of the city was also something that we wanted to show because... Uh, when we are talking about these multiple perspectives and, and voices about the futures, then it's also important to be as diverse as possible, right? Mm. And then try to incorporate like this multiplicity of uh, perspectives. And um, since this was part of the Dutch Design Week, uh, and it will be that people who went there have interacted with it or have listened to the talk show. What is the main thing that you hope visitors will take away from your project? Yeah, so I think uh, um, the most important is uh, this inspiration that uh, engaging in discussing futures, uh, well, first of all, is very relevant, so that then it's something that we should all be part of it, and mm-hmm. then we should all um, feel and 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 experience uh, that we play an important part in in this discussion. Then that's one, and then another one is that uh, we can also explore different uh, ways of uh, engaging, so of, of engagement. So similar to what I mentioned earlier, that um, it is important to bring these futures to the present and make them in an attractive way that mm-hmm. then they are going to make it I- interesting for a diversity of people to communicate about it so rather than as i said like many mm-hmm. times we see like these uh, uh, you know super long powerpoints uh, or mm-hmm. or a pdf document or and I, I think also there is um the tendency for experts to be used when thinking about the future and not so much regular citizens so this might help to make the playing field a little bit more even for that sort of debate. Yeah, you're totally right, exactly. And then that's also uh, one of our main intentions, that then it's not 
only this debate is not only indeed like uh, for experts or uh, government or corporates, uh, but then it's also definitely for people because, well, mm. we are all living in cities, so it's relevant for everybody, yeah. also for, for children, <laughs> and then that might be perhaps uh, an interesting uh, um, project to, to, to investigate. How can you, for instance, uh, engage children mm. to talk about the future of the city? And uh, we did actually talk with maybe not children, but some other regular citizens in society. And they had experienced the application. They walked through it. And we discussed with them a bit their first thoughts afterwards. Here are some questions that came up after their whole experience. The first question is, what would you say to people that are hesitant about data collection? Yeah, that's um, um, that. That's a very interesting question. One of the things, and then uh, comes as well from the provocation. So mm -hmm. sometimes a reaction that we get, uh, well, experiencing future frictions is like none of the choices that we are offering, in fact, are really desirable. Like, yes. uh, <laughs> then, and then that's also part of the provocation. Like something that, uh, what if, what if none of these choices is actually attractive to you? Um, but then, for people that are reluctant um, uh, in in this in this context, uh, what I would say is that then it's very important indeed that they participate and then they take part in the discussion mm. of what's being done with their data, and that they are actively uh, voicing their concerns and join uh, these type of discussions and debates. Um, because then at the end it's all about establishing like that dialogue and then making these controversies and these tensions mm. uh, tangible and apparent so then we can make use of them, right? Yeah. There were quite a few comments about, yeah, I don't like any of these yes, options. Uh, I, uh, I, don't, I don't want to choose these. Yes, Is yes. there something else I can do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like something uh, I remember with doing one of the test runs that we had, and uh, these participants said, "Yeah, but I don't want to choose any of this." <laughs> and then, and then in, in uh, yeah, it, we it was also a conscious choice um, in order to provoke, right? Because mm -hmm. then we want to provoke. Like if 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 you stay uh, within your comfort zone, and then that's also part of this um, provocation of that we try to achieve with. Um, this speculation is that then it's not going to uh, really be a visceral feeling, right? Mm. So then we wanted to provoke in that sense. But yeah, that's a, that's a reaction that we have <laughs> heard quite often. Yes. And uh, in this whole experience, there is just, it brings to front that we have interactions in our public spaces already with technology that is collecting information. Like if you go at a stoplight, there are the sensors that are tracking movement and there's also like security cameras. But a question that came up was, how do you think consent will be defined in the future? Is it going to be an option to opt out of data collection in the future since we already see there's so much data collection happening now? Yeah, that's that's also <laughs> that's a very interesting question, and in our uh, in our project, then that's something that we have been discussing quite a lot. So how so we can many times opt out when you, we are uh, I don't know if we are using our mobile phone or our computer, right? It's mm -hmm. very easy. But then, can you actually opt out 
when you are entering the city. And I was in a workshop recently, and then somebody, um, like there were different groups working on, 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 uh, yeah, on, on breakout rooms. And then one of the solutions that then these groups uh, came up with was, okay, what if we have, like now you have digital twins that then uh, for cities, for instance, mm-hmm. and then you have a digital copy of your city or some processes. But then they were saying we could have also like a, a twin of the city, one that is like smart and then all technology and then another copy, exact copy of the city in which people can opt out. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and then they were saying, oh, that might be a very interesting experiment. Um, I think ideally uh, it, it should be possible to opt out and then perhaps it's a question of exploring how could it be possible. It's not like we need to accept things that might make us feel uncomfortable um, but I don't have an answer really on how, mm. how to make that possible. So it is all, all, at the end of the day, the answer comes with this exploration. Yeah. And then this, uh, this just exploring what could happen. Right, right now also, I think it was in, in uh, Hong Kong, then we saw uh, some people uh, hiding their faces, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that, for instance, it was a way of opting out, right? Yeah. Well, uh, It is something that I think was triggered in just having to make the sort of decisions that you had in the interaction that were limiting, where you couldn't say that I just don't want this technology here, because in the future there will be technology that we don't really have an option about. So, Uh, And with making such a tool, which is thinking about the future and like frictions that can occur, there is also, on some level, a bit of personal bias that is there. How do you take that into account when you have to create these sort of scenarios? Our own bi- bias as uh, creators, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's also that's, that's something that we uh, did talk a lot about in our projects, how we already have biases as people, and then how are we going to... Um, acknowledge that right in the development of our tools something that would we try to do with future frictions was to keep a level of ambiguity mm-hmm. so what we had is we had several iterations and then we were sharing our own perspectives as a group of researchers like uh, really trying to challenge each other in in that sense but in the final design or, or uh, the product then what we did was okay let's keep it at, with a lot of nuance and that it's not things are not really like black and white that there is a gray area so it's really up to the participant or mm-hmm. the, the user uh, to to see like which value for instance is being prioritized mm-hmm. in a specific uh, scenario or choice or future so we really try to add like multiple contrasting perspectives and then not be very, uh, yeah, like how to say it, like very extreme in the sense of mm-hmm. how I think it was. Not, not putting one perspective over the other. Exactly, kind of. like leaving it open. And then one of the things that we do, so we have used future frictions as part of a workshop formats as well. And then something that we do is we people experience it and then, we ask them to reflect on the smart city controversies that mm. they perceive as part of this experience. And it's quite interesting because then depending on the participants, then they talk about different controversies. Mm. So that was also something that we wanted to achieve. So if they are always talking about the same controversies and, and value tensions, then that 
well, in in our from our perspective, then that would have been that wouldn't have helped us achieve the goal that we wanted to achieve. So that's uh, I would say challenging ourselves as researchers and developers of the tool, and at the same time um, giving space and room for ambiguity, which mm -hmm. is always I think a very important uh, element. Great. Is it better to limit data collection to private spaces? This is something that kind of came up is we're focusing a lot about public spaces and public collection of data. Do you think that in the end people will go towards data collection only in private spaces? Yeah, that's, um, I think this relates to the opting out um, mm -hmm. discussion. So it is, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell, right? So then we could speculate about what's going to happen in that sense. But I think in private spaces, in a way, um, it is more confined. And then like opting out is more of an option yes. than when you're in the public space. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the future will bring. So it's up to us. <laughs> yes. But then I think it's important indeed to uh, realize that then if we are collecting data in the public space, then opting out becomes less uh, of an option. Yeah. <laughs> and so what are we going to do about that? So probably it looks like nowadays and the way we are making choices in the present, data will be collected both in private and public spaces. No hiding. I, I, it <laughs> looks like that. I don't know <laughs> what will happen, but at the moment, hiding seems, uh, <laughs> seems yeah. challenging. So one last question from our um, participants. How are we currently tackling friction with existing technology, such as face tracking cameras? How are we looking at the technological frictions that happen, and how are we facilitating those debates outside of what you've created now? What's the more traditional approach? So meaning that, um, uh, so like that, the, the there are some frictions originating because of the use of technology, and how can we uh, talk about them? Yes, or how do we talk about them right now? Because you're making this um, web application that mm -hmm. is basically making it so that everyone has a voice uh, to equally talk about the future and what have agency for it. But how do we now? Um, think about technological frictions that can exist besides the proposal that you have. Mm -hmm. So, uh, reflecting on 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 the present and the present issues mm -hmm. that are that are going on. Yes. Well, that's a very that's a very good question. But I would say in this case that um, well, definitely. So that's also what we would we try to achieve with future friction. So I mean, uh, having a certain degree of awareness, mm -hmm. I think it's already um, a, a very important step. So uh, many times in our own practices, and then when we are interacting with technology or when we are making use of technology, doesn't matter if we are a user or if it's a company, or then. Many times we don't stop and we are not aware of the impact mm. of our actions, right? And then these uh, frictions originate from our use, the application of technology, the intention we have, and then also the unintended consequences. So I think that, that uh, raising awareness and having a degree of awareness is mm. probably 
uh, the first step and the foundation to deal with these frictions. And then uh, something that we advocate for, and then we think it's not, frictions are not a negative, so frictions mm -hmm. have constructive potential. So um, creating awareness is the first step towards making constructive use of these frictions. So then we can say, okay, then uh, if for instance, uh, um, well, uh, safety or security is very important for us, mm -hmm. right? And then we have these security cameras, and at, but at the same time, then privacy is being under threat. So there seems to be a tension and a friction. So how can we bridge these values, right? And then, mm -hmm. but then if we ignore one of the values, if we don't have any awareness of like the existence of that tension, then we keep going just in this uh, unilateral decision. Like mm -hmm. we have a tunnel vision, right? We might end yeah. up having that. So, and then I think, well, there are uh, many, so future frictions, of course, is just one example um, of trying to stimulate this debate, but then uh, there are very interesting uh, projects, like in terms of speculative design, it was recently uh, like a master thesis in Delft, so then there were, it was about a nudging bench, so mm -hmm. it's a really as a, uh, to raise awareness of nudging technology in okay. the city. Uh, but then sometimes you might have like this uh, t technology encouraging you or enticing you to do something without you realizing it. Mm. And then in this project that uh, then I encourage everybody to have a look at it, then it okay. was, uh, uh, well, it was a reflection on these nudges uh, in the city. And uh, it was an interesting way of creating awareness of this type of technology that a lot of people are not aware of. So mm. I think... Uh, yeah, so you could say that your project is really kind of flipping the script with design. Instead of having subconsciously to nudge people in certain directions, you're telling them to be more aware and of what the choices they are that they are making and to kind of reflect about that and have discussion together. Is there anything you would um, do differently in this project now that you have... Uh, worked on it already and you've showcased it in Dutch Design Week. Is there anything that now that you've reflected on it, you would change in this whole process? Yeah, so uh, there's a, there are a couple of things, and then the good news is that we have now uh, like a chance to uh, to improve it and mm -hmm. then learn from it. So one thing is that the experience uh, it is quite an individual experience. So of course we want to stimulate debate, but at the same time. Um, the way it, it, you go, you walk now through the neighborhood in future fictions, etc. But it's a, quite an introspective type of experience. So we wanted to make it more collective. Mm -hmm. So then it's something that uh, for this next iteration, then we're working on having like a little bit of a shorter, quicker and more collective um, experience. So the debates uh, can happen uh, on the spot and mm -hmm. uh, and then it's not necessary to go through perhaps the 15 minutes or, or approximately that it takes uh, time so that was something that we that we realized that it's important to have this individual reflection uh, but then it's also important to support uh, that debate right away mm. with the ex with the experience yes. and then uh, with this new iteration then we're also going to bring it to uh, to the public space okay. so then uh, right now in terms of um, what we realized as well is with the current version, then it requires a certain degree of uh, digital literacy. Um, and then in this new iteration, then it's going to be more accessible for a wider audience. Uh, it's going to be easier to interact with and then 
hopefully our plans is uh, to well we we hope to bring it to uh, to a public square somewhere in the Netherlands and then perhaps uh, to other places yeah, in the getting world. even more uh, data out of it <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay so then what we say is that will be a future frictions 2.0 yeah <laughs> nice so what is your next project what is the next thing that you are going to be working on yeah so and right now at the moment is um on this uh, new iteration uh, that's the main uh, that's okay. that's uh, main focus and then also we are working on a on a um, on a playbook mm-hmm. uh also with uh, some methods and and uh, tools that then we have been applying in our research project to raise awareness of smart city controversies and value tensions so that's right now what we are currently busy uh, yeah working on sounds really great Mm -hmm. finally i would like to ask do you have any tips or advice for participants joining dutch design week next year um well um i think uh, the tip could be be really open uh, for the interactions that visitors are going to have with your work mm-hmm. uh, because it's a great opportunity to learn from a very diverse group of people um, uh, approaching, uh, well, well uh, interacting with your work and then giving uh, their opinions and their feedback about it. So I would say uh, that sometimes we might work uh, very hard on something and then with the Dutch Design Week is a great opportunity to really showcase it mm-hmm. um, and I think it's it's a great platform to yeah to just get all, all kinds of um, of reactions to what we do so mm-hmm. have an open mind and learn from it and, and enjoy it because then it's a it's a wonderful experience so yeah great well, I would like to then thank you for sharing your time with us and telling us so much information about giving advocacy for people to have debates about the future that they have, because the future doesn't happen to us. We decide the future that we want to live in. Yeah, thank you so much, Great. It's been a pleasure being here. The outcome of the second interview sounded like it was hard to decide and choose the changes they want to make, since in reality there is no right or wrong decision, because there are so many yeah. consequences I for every decision. I also talked with Julieta a little bit about this, and she noticed as well that participants do find struggles with this, but it's more about giving people agency and helping them to think that they have some control over the future that they will exist in not just that the future happens to them which is actually true right we do have a level of agency over what happens to us but tell us more about the interview i think it went really well at least at the end i had a new perspective on it i thought that it would just be a discussion about data collection but it became a discussion more about what values affect how we interact with technology and what kind of futures we want to exist in. So all of this talk about the projects in that design way really makes you think, really brings yeah, so many things I, for to me, the surface. One big takeaway is just how important it is to give people agency through design, whether it's allowing children to have a safe space for expression or giving communities a sense of controlling their future outcomes. These two designs that had such different approaches still 
brought agency to those that didn't feel they had it before. Exactly. And it's also really interesting how the use of technology gave a completely different spin to the project itself. With uh, Mache, for example, it was the lowest level open-ended design that could take any shape. While in Future Frictions, there were some some guidelines of what can happen so people can choose what they want to, mm. to I think to I explore. understand what you're saying. So overall, Dajah Zaiwik left me amazed at the different level of projects present there. Some are very simple, some are very complex, but both end up with amazing concepts and ideas. So in conclusion, we all really enjoyed Dajah Zaiwik and we'll definitely go back next year. And we would like to say our thank yous to Naomi von Stralen, Andres Weinen, Julieta Matos-Castano, and the Future Frictions team for sharing their stories with us. We also send our thanks to those Dutch Design Week visitors who stopped by for a minute to talk with us, as well as the web experience participants. For more information on the Matcha project and a chance to experience the Future Frictions web applications, check the links in this week's podcast description. <laughs>